Attention listeners, ahead are spoilers. Hello and greetings. You find yourself within the movie trap. I am Russell Carlson and with me as always, Chris Boroff. I haven't been knocked out yet. That's pretty good. <laughs> and also join me, Zach Powers. Uh, I relinquish my duties as Keymaster. <laughs> <laughs> uh, on the movie trap, one of the three people you just met picks a theme and each of the three hosts Takes a movie based on that theme. Each host starts with 10 points to vote for whichever movie wins the theme at the end of the voting round. Plus, we have some bonus points, but not many in this round anymore. Um, once we've watched all three movies, we will then use the points that we have gained and vote on which one is our favorite. And whoever wins picks the next theme. Previously on the movie trap, we began the theme of ubiquitous movies or movies that everybody has seen, but you, the host, have not. It was my pick with Goodwill Hunting. Um, and that left us with Chris Boroff. You have 12 points to go and one more point to allocate. I have 11 points to vote with one more point to allocate. And Zach Powers, you have 12 points with two points to allocate. Uh, so that brings us to our movie at hand, which is Zach's pick. The 1989 John Cusack romantic classic, Say Anything. Say Anything, as mentioned, is a 1989 movie. It's directed by Cameron Crowe in his first, uh, his directorial debut. It stars John Cusack and Ione Sky as a pair of sort of uh, love-stricken high schoolers. Also stars uh, Frasier's own John Mahoney as Ione Sky's father, who uh, may or may not be in a bit of legal trouble. Um, the long and short of this particular movie is that uh, Ione Sky is uh, an extremely accomplished high school student, uh, the valedictorian of her class, who also receives one of the most prestigious uh, grants and scholarships in the nation early in the movie, while uh, John Cusack as Lloyd Dobler is uh, kind of an underachiever, uh, sort of a nothing entity at the high school in a manner of speaking, who nevertheless is very infatuated with her um, and uh, decides to pursue a, a romantic relationship with her, uh, starting with simply, you know, giving her a call one day. Uh, she agrees to go out to a party with him after an unseen uh, meal at the mall prior to graduation. Um, and over the course of the summer, uh, at the end of which she is destined to head to London with this amazing scholarship that she got, um, they gradually fall deeper and deeper in love. Um, he is... Uh, all things considered, a pretty sweet guy who lives with his sister and her uh, young son. His parents seem to be more or less uh, not around. Um, and uh, she obviously has an extremely close relationship with her father. Her mother is also out of the picture. Uh, she works most days uh, at her father's business, which is a retirement home. Um, and as things go on, uh, she becomes more infatuated with him, but her father is not as impressed 
uh, because he has no, you know, specific plans for his future. He's sort of aimless and interested in kickboxing, more or less. Uh, it's also revealed that her father may have some troubles with the IRS. Uh, they're coming to family meals and the like. Um, and uh, <laughs> as time goes on, eventually her father convinces uh, her that Lloyd is kind of no good for her in spite of her own internal feelings. Um, the two of them, uh, uh, Lloyd and and uh, Ioni Sky, who plays Diane, have sex uh, to Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. Um, but shortly thereafter, at her father's bidding, uh, she breaks up with him. Uh, Lloyd um, sort of continues to call her and sort of varyingly either get finality on the situation or get back together. Um, sometimes at the behest of his two female friends, one of one of his friends played by Lily Taylor. Um, he goes through a journey where he's like, well, maybe I hang out with too many women meets up with the guys. The guys are, I don't know, dumb and kind of sexist. Um, uh, meanwhile, the problems with uh, Diane's father become more and more obvious. It becomes clear that he has possibly been stealing away some of his elder client's money and keeping it for himself uh, after they die. Um, uh, eventually, uh, she discovers said money in an ornate box they keep at their home. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't she know where with a pen knife. I mean, I don't know where you keep your ill-gotten goods, but I usually keep them in the loudest, most obvious spot to hide evidence <laughs> to present yeah. it to anyone who yep. might find so, it. Yeah, right next to the window. Mm-hmm. Um, her father tries to, uh, you know, sort of defend himself by saying he has done more for these people than their own families in many regards. But nevertheless, um, he is uh, he is taken in and eventually sent to prison for embezzling from his elderly clients. Um, and uh, after that occurs, she distraught uh, reconciles with Lloyd uh, and sort of lives with him for the remainder of that summer. Um, near the end of the film, Lloyd visits uh, her father in prison. Um, he is uh, somewhat bitter about the situation, but nevertheless gives her gives him a letter from his daughter um, and uh, saying that she has difficulty forgiving him at this point, but she shows up in person and gives him one last uh, hug and gives him a pen to write to her in Britain, a pen previously established in the movie that was a gift uh, Yeah, from, uh, I believe, from Lloyd. Is that, am I remembering that right? Yeah, it's from one of the famous lines of the movie. I gave yeah. her my heart. She gave me a pen. Yeah, yeah. it's like the dad gave uh, her a pen to then hand the boyfriend during the breakup. It was a very odd choice. There are a number of odd choices from John Mahoney's character. Right. Uh, so... Ultimately, Lloyd, uh, despite the two of them not being sure what their future would be together with her leaving for another continent, decides to accompany her from Britain to Britain. And uh, in the final scene of the film is consoling her as the plane takes off because she has a deep fear of flying. And as the plane takes off, the movie ends. Uh, 
pretty short summary, but I find this movie a, a little shambolic at points. So, you know, it's more about like, I think it's more useful to go into individual scenes in the, the conversation than to go too deep dive in the summary because a lot yeah, of scenes no, are, I get that. Know, yeah. yeah, no, I, I totally get that, especially because, like, when you consider, you know, the time and place this movie was released in and the fact that James L. Brooks kind of had his hand in it, because um, he likes those kind of trifurcated uh, conflicts, you know, like I, I mean, like think of broadcast news. I know Boris loves to bring that movie up uh, with William Hurt, Holly yeah. Hunter and Albert Brooks. None of them, none of the three characters, they're all a direct conflict with each other most of the time. But none of the three characters are necessarily unsympathetic and you sort of understand where they're coming from. And and I think they do the same thing with this one, too, because John Mahoney, it's not like John Mahoney. He's a not monster. a monster. He's not a friend. Yeah. He's very yeah. sweet with his daughter. You, for the majority yeah, of the he's he's very yeah. protective um, of his daughter, but that's also because he's very protective of his own feelings of guilt and shame. And, yeah. and it's sort of a projection onto that. And there's a there's a relatability to to uh, all. The, well, it's also how they handle the character. I do want to discuss. Before we go too deep, I do want to discuss how how I came to choose this particular film. There were a few uh, on my queue, some of which I wanted to watch more than this movie. Like, I think I would enjoy more than this movie. And I I probably still believe that. um, But I just didn't think they were. I don't know. uh, You were talking about uh, ubiquitous Mm -hmm. things, right? Uh, Things that are common across pop culture. And I think that image of Lloyd holding the boombox playing in your mm-hmm. eyes and the trench coat is very, very, very like one of the most well-known yeah. images from at least the eighties in film. If not, mm-hmm. you know, it, well beyond much of, for, yeah. for me, it feels like it's like the earliest form of a meme that I can remember because it was like, people would just have that <laughs> in the movie. Like they wouldn't have anything, but someone holding a boombox to bring up that as a reference and everybody knew what they were talking about at the time. I considered others like um, again, movies, some of which I think I might enjoy more than this movie, some of which I still want to watch. Uh, a League of Their Own, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Haven't seen those. I think there's some degree of like cultural like you know uh, recognition of those movies yeah. but I just thought that ultimately that that image alone was like yeah like Russell's Goodwill Hunting Pick has a few scenes. This has a couple scenes. Like that's just this felt like the ubiquitous answer. Yeah, and I yeah. I, I concur because like let's talk about the shot um, because I think that like first of all uh, it was shot in two different time and places. It wasn't even the song that was playing when they shot it. Yeah, uh, it was John Cusack boning really in the boneyard. Yeah, it was boning in the yeah, boneyard it, by. Uh, Fishbone was what was actually playing Fishbone on the boombox because they knew they were going to yeah. dub something else in. Yeah, right. Well, because he had actually commissioned another song and just didn't like it because it pretty much described the plot, at least according to the IMDb page. So I just think it's funny that it's so iconic, but yet it's such a haphazard, more or less sort of camera trick um, and a post-production trick. And yet that's what culminates and that's what everybody thinks of it. But uh, Bor, if you were talking about how that how that scene plays in relation to the movie, I, I was sort of struck that it's still it's the emotional apex of the movie for Lloyd at least and for her a little bit. Um I, I was still struck in for the how... romantics in the romantic story because I almost think that the the father li- the father storyline and Correct. in many ways I think you could make the argument that Diane is the main character of this film. Correct. Mm-hmm. Um 
is just as important. And in fact, the title comes exclusively from the storyline between Diane and her father. Yeah. It's repeated twice. And both times it's spoken between those two characters. I, I mean, the, the weird, the um, weird thing yeah. to consider in this is that um, how the characters function. John Cusack essentially is the manic pixie dream girl of the script. She comes or yeah. he comes into uh, her life, causes a bunch of trouble He's like, you know, he has all the markers that you'd normally attribute to a Manic Pixie Dream Girl, but you don't think of it that way because he's a guy and you assume he's the main character because, of course, he's the guy who gets the girl, and so why wouldn't he be the main character? he's eventually on all the posters because of that famous scene. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he's he's sort of like her redemption almost, you know, like that's his sort of device for her. He's the, he that she's going to get out of the shadow of her father or whatever, and that's, yeah. he's he's a device for that. And that's... And, you know, the, the romance angle is what everybody remembers in this movie. I but, mean, that's why this is a this is a classic date movie for high school kids. This is where you bring your date to show them this movie, to show them that you, too, are a, like a sensitive schmuck like John Cusack is. Um, there's some problems with how it's handled, though. It's a bad example for young people, I think. OK, well, I mean, it is the 80s. Well, it is. Yeah, I, I'm like, going to give two sides to this coin. But I'll, let's say, we, go ahead, Chris. And why? I'll, I'll, the thing is, is it feels as though the film kind of goes a great distance to like if I guess it plays differently because you know that she likes him too. But a lot of the things with how he approaches her after he gets dumped comes across to me now like really aggressive, like calling her house a lot. Shows up outside unannounced playing a boombox. Like, that's like toxic masculinity stuff. And a lot of people, just to be real, like, if you have people who aren't emotionally that intelligent, who see this and think this is how romance is supposed to happen, they think this is how you're supposed to approach people. And it's not. Yep. Like, not I, at all. I, 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 I uh, could hear that. I could hear that. I, 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 but I also think that, like, given that it is the core of his whole character is dating diane i mean it's his first line in the movie i mean that's codependent and weird that's codependent and weird but he's also a high school kid he's also a fucking high school kid who doesn't know his ass from a hole in the ground i'm gonna take a slightly oppositional approach here um roy among 80s and even 90s romantic comedy male protagonist lloyd dobler ages among the best in my opinion, mm-hmm. like I completely agree. There ain't no stealing panties. There ain't no like that's de rigueur shit. Like there is some degree of him, like after they break up and they've had sex and she has said, I love you. Like he's taking the breakup hard prior to yeah. them getting together. He calls and does a few things, but like, I don't think it's that intense. And in fact, there's even a scene where like, he's mostly friends with women. And when he meets with the guys, they're so much worse and shittier. Like, I think that Lloyd Dobler for a romantic male protagonist of this era holds up just about as well as anybody I can think of. He holds it better than fucking Ferris Bueller holds up better than fucking Judd Nelson in the breakfast club. I mean, yeah, I think that well, for I mean, his even time, think of, he's kind of a paragon of like one of the better even think ones. of even think of the the movie that Cameron Crowe wrote immediately before this with Fast Times. That's way more yeah. like 
horny teenager shit, you know, like that's way more animal house stuff, you know? And, and even though, you know, Judd Reinhold is still kind of a lovable dope, he's still like this kind of creepy weirdo who likes to look at his sister's friends outside in the bathroom. You know, my girlfriend Um, watched this with me and while she was watching it, she was like, she didn't think that Lloyd went too, too far. She felt like, yes, there were those calls after they broke up and all that stuff. But eventually she was like, this just feels like teenagers having big emotions and doesn't go, doesn't really go beyond that. Like it never goes too insane in that regard. And I think almost every movie of this era, and in fact, the next 10 to 15 years does. And I think that that's fair too. And I think what Morris point about his characteristics being like the kind of male version of the manic pixie dream girl. I get that. I hear that. I think that that's 100%. fair. I think it's a great yeah, because point. In he's... fact, I think it's such a good point. I'm going to give Chris a, uh, a point because <laughs> okay, I think good. it's, I think it's extremely accurate. Well, good, cause you. I only have one because I was going to give you a point because out of, out, out of eighties sort of, uh, toxic Romeos, well, you could do worse than Lloyd Dobler. Maybe well, I mean, with taste and, music. And but, I do agree, because yeah. it, it was very novel. Like, there are a couple things in this with that that were way more subtle and nuanced than other relationships in these type of movies. Like, for instance, the fact that the girl went through giving what I think is probably one of the worst explanations possible with the worst order of information handed out at a time to her father about how she lost her virginity. Um, like, way too much over-explaining there. But... The fact that at the end of it, she was the one who was actually um, uh, the active participant. Like, it wasn't Lloyd talking her into it or cajoling her into it. She decided after deciding for herself she did, she was going to wait. She decided she wanted to do it. So it was nice to see that that was a change. It wasn't something where the guy was getting the girl. It was where the girl attacked the guy. Um, but there's another weird thing with this. In the movie, like... Other than the main relationship, most of the teen relationships that are shown are all shown to kind of be like like foils to the main relationship. Because every sure. time somebody else shows up, they're always having an argument or crying, and it seems silly. But essentially, their problems and the problems of the main characters are probably a lot more lined up. So it's just a question of perspective as to like why we should think that Lloyd Dobler's issue at the party is more important than, for instance... The girl who interrupts his conversation with, I guess, a guidance counselor that came to a teen party to talk yeah, to kids about Yeah, that was a weird shit. moment. Hmm? Yeah. That was that, weird. That, 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 but like, yeah. They, yeah, in the middle of that weird conversation, there's like a couple that goes through and the girl's like, don't even talk to me. Don't even talk to me. And they handle it as a joke and a gag. But their problem seems just as valid as the problem of the main protagonist yeah. and the main character. So I don't quite get why the judgment was there. I actually thought that uh, the relationship between Lily Collins and Jim was going to be Joe was going Mm. to be a much bigger part of this film, but it kind of just stops. Sure. Yeah. That happens a couple of times in this movie. There are several setups to subplots, like even with his sister and like, she's dealing with like a divorce or whatever. And, and it it does got a young child. Yeah. Right. And, and there's several, but get little to v- no resolution. Um, you know, like there's there's a lot of setups. I mean, even uh, Diane meeting her mom, like out of nowhere, um, sort of sets up this, uh, I don't think really necessary conflict point in her life because like they, they go into this exposition that she chose to live with her father during the divorce or whatever. Yeah. Um, and and I, 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 
it was fine, but it just didn't really add anything. And, and I don't really know why they included so much. Um, I mean, I get the reason why I sort of understand why, with the exception of Lloyd and Diane, every other relationship around them is in shambles. Almost everybody. The, the dad's relationship with his wife, you know, Lloyd's sister. It's, it's everybody. So yeah. initially, I think the relationship that, between the dad and Diane seems and I think very stable, but it it gets accurate to to high school relationships. You get tunnel vision, you know, like their their problems aren't any more valid. It's it's your world mm-hmm. and your problems, you know, and that's how everybody pretty much treats their relationships in this movie, at least. Yeah, yeah. Uh, watching watching the so stakes yeah, Zach, from that from that exact standpoint was very interesting for me because it it brought me back to a time where I'm like. Oh, yeah, when dating somebody was the most important problem in my life, which has not been a case for a very long time since I'm very married. Uh, But, you know, I mean, we have like things like you know nuclear holocaust to worry about now. Not so much, you know, uh, will you get a date with the girl from chemistry? Yeah. And I, I think that an important thing is it's yeah, it's tough. Like, you know, I think about. I like let's for the sake of random comparison. Uh, let's think about like another teen movie, um, in can't hardly wait. For example, this guy's trying to find the love of a woman. He basically does not personally know at all. And his grand romantic gestures are all aimed at a woman that he has no significant relationship to. In this movie, once he does the grand romantic shit, it's somebody who has said, I love you. They broke it off like very suddenly and without him understanding why they lost their virginity to each other. It's in the short time span. Um, Like, I think that that is there. I've heard the phrase that there is a fine line between creepy and surprising in the romantic sense. And this does a much better job straddling that line than most teen comedies romantic comedies i think yeah sure yeah and and like like i think you said earlier it's not that lloyd's um reaction to being broken up is necessarily out of character for an 18 year old kid who again it's the most important thing in your life you are gonna react pretty dumb um and and that's you know I I didn't feel it took away from the movie. In fact, that's why probably you call it a date movie. You know that's why you yeah. you, you know you it's the the thing about I thought Borf that you would hate this because of the fucking melodrama. You know the whole I guess this is oh, growing sure. up sort of classic melodrama. I know, mean um, that that stuff that's like getting angry at a musical when the music starts because it's like yeah. this is this is gonna be a, <laughs> it's like it's gonna be a teen movie. Like there's stuff gonna happen like that. Like I um I will say this one was super nuanced in areas. Like I said, uh, specifically with the father because he wasn't just a villain. He was like an empathetic character. True. He really loved his daughter. And even in he the did. situations where he had to interact with um John Cusack's character, which uh, Lou Dobbs. No, not Lou Dobbs. Do- Lo- Lloyd Dobler. Lloyd, Lloyd Dobler. Dobler. Lou Dobbs, different person. Uh, Lloyd Dobler. Yeah. Um, Lou Dobbs, a very they, different person. <laughs> yeah, that would have been an interesting uh, mashup. But But uh, they didn't have. Oh like, my god! Uh, <laughs> no, no, boy, don't do it! Don't do it to my head. <laughs> but they they didn't have. He's like, holding up a boombox of a Trump speech or some bullshit. <laughs> well, it's just that they didn't have like villain speeches. They it's like you could tell there was a little bit of uh, a little bit of static, but not. 
an unbelievable amount of static like he didn't throw the kid out of the dinner he didn't go oh that guy's a ne'er-do-well the first time he saw him it was like well he's seems no, like yeah. he's happy enough and yeah yeah i think that uh, well I th- i'll say two things uh one one of the brilliant uh i think choices in terms of mitigating the grossness that pervades some of these movies that they did was making Lloyd's friends exclusively women who were like sort of advising like, you know, and actually contrasting them with like guys of the same age. I think that was probably a pretty smart choice on the filmmakers part to make this character seem a little more, uh, a little stronger, a little more empathetic. He's also super good with kids, which doesn't hurt. Um, but also, yeah, his, the father also is wants actually, to be a kickboxer. Yeah, and, and the father, additionally, despite how it ends up, is so 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 willing to let this daughter live her own life at the beginning. Like there is a scene where he picks her up at eight o'clock, and he's like, "I'll have your daughter back in seven or eight hours," and <laughs> the father does not blink. He's like, "All right," and at the party, she calls at like two a.m drunk people in the background see you at dawn <laughs> and the dad's like okay that's fine and then the only time he gets upset is when she comes home at dawn but she didn't call like he's pretty forgiving for a dad of a valedictorian 18 year old yeah that is an odd contrast because it's like he's extremely accepting and open but at the same time he's super controlling like yeah there's some weirdness with that because there's scenes in the movie that like when I was watching them, they broke down to me as like classic like n- narcissistic tendencies. Like there's a scene where he starts blaming himself. He starts playing the victim in front of her as like, I don't know, is it me? Did I do something wrong? I should let you be your own person. And it really was like, I think that scene ends okay. But when he starts going into it, I'm like, oh this is bad but then at the end it's like oh just do your own thing i love you do your own thing but for like a half second i'm like is this movie gonna go full cruella duville deville with this guy like <laughs> it's getting real hannibal up in this bitch what's happening with this well, movie I, I i actually that's one of the you know one of the i'll probably cut that uh, line out sorry <laughs> one, one of the things i didn't like i didn't love about this movie um is one of those scenes that you're talking about where it seems like the character is asking a question is kind of going through this soliloquy with another person right next to him like am i a bad person did i do this to be or not to be you know like it it did seem a little weird and performance driven and to bore of chagrin the classic melodrama but uh i i do want to say i do love john mahoney in this movie he is fucking oh, great, great in this movie um he's consistently where he's in, the, he's in when you know the yeah. walls are coming in on him you and he's hiding and kind of just huddled up in the bathroom like that spoke a lot about the character that really you didn't really need to get much more than that. That that yeah. said, everything you needed to know about where this guy's head is at. Um, well, he got he got Cusack involved in this because I guess they did he really? Worked, yeah, they'd worked on uh, Eight Men Out. I just doing the thing okay, I do. John I obsessively looked yeah, up yeah. some details. Yeah, um, Eight Men Out, and then I guess uh, him and uh, uh, John Cusack stayed pals. And then when the script was coming, um, Mahoney's like, yeah, there's a really good script coming. Keep your eye out for it. And then it came in. And that's essentially what led to him being in this movie, because it was supposed to be like Robert Downey Jr. Hmm. And uh, somebody else for the woman, like the the lady in this thing was going to be another huge actress at the time. But I can't remember who it is right now. 
I, I I heard that they were very close for Mahon- for John Mahoney's character to be uh, Dick Van Dyke. Just, I'm not sure how that would have played. Um, but but I, I John Mahoney, we all know him as Marty from um, from Frasier because he only did that show for you know fucking forever <laughs> for ten years. Um, but uh, I'll love him best from uh, Barton Fink playing the uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald archetype. Um, oh yeah, he's great. And, uh, he's mm-hmm. awesome in that. When you give a guy like a, a working actor like John Mahoney who who can play a character and do character acting like he he's, does even like the Hudsucker proxy where this he's just guy playing the- like he you know for his you know screen credits uh his home in many ways was the Steppenwolf Theater in Chicago like he was a mainstay there I remember I was living in Chicago when he died uh, a couple of years ago and like you know, among the theater community in Chicago, like people like it, I think it hit more heavily than it did with the general populace because he through the end of his life, like would consistently come back to Chicago and perform on stage at the Steppenwolf. It's where he came up and he was loyal to it for his whole life. I, he, he was a theater guy in many regards. And, you know, it's similar to like Alan Rickman has three or four state movie credits that are like, oh, those are his big movie credits. But mostly that was a theater guy who did movies sometimes. And I think John Mahoney was the same way. Right. And then who could say no to a steady paycheck of a sitcom? You know, yeah. like that's it. And he was great in Frasier, we should say. I mean, he's one of the yeah. highlights of the show. Um, but yeah, I was I was really struck with how like because he's so because he's kind of a short guy. Right. You know, like Lloyd just kind of towers over him a lot of the time. So for him to kind of be this controlling parent, but also this sort of affable you know, like, uh, uh-huh, there you go, son. You know, like, you know, he's very, like you said, kind of receptive to Lloyd. He's like, okay, you know, he's not a, doesn't seem like a total burnout. He seems kind of lost and directionless. But, it, you know, in a way, Lloyd doesn't look at it that way because his direction is dating his daughter. Yeah. Um, and and so. I think that Lloyd is also interesting because, like, com- when you think of him as a burnout, he doesn't seem that much like a burnout to me. Like, He's not constantly high. He's pretty responsible at that fucking party. He takes care of the keys. Yeah. Like, he don't drink until everybody goes home sober. And then at the end, he still doesn't drink because he has to drive somebody home to make sure they're safe. He's basically co The guy doesn't remember a, where he lives. Yeah. <laughs> he's co-running, like, a children's class at the local boxing gym. Like, this guy, the fact that he doesn't know exactly what he wants to do at 18, he's also seems like a dude who, like can figure shit out yeah i mean he's this is weird because it's like he's a gen x um archetype that doesn't really exist in the same way now because it's like at the time a slacker hero was sort of like the underdog king it was like man this guy's got it really figured out he's not part of corporate america he hasn't bought into the big machine which was a huge conversation for gen xers that we don't really have anymore um because I think it was like reaction potentially to like the 1950s. There's a whole lot of weird. Well, the graduate, vibes. yeah, yeah, like the graduate. But like the, the that whole time period got weird. Because if you watch like Pleasantville, a big part of that film, it works well now. But it was part of the contrast between the 90s versus the 50s in terms of what was considered important. Um, a lot of fake niceness tends to be the thing that people pull out of the 50s is the thing they kept re- referencing in films like this. Um. But, it, like, this character changes through the era. Like, even, like, I have a feeling that this film has a spiritual sequel. And I'll put this out there and see how you guys feel about it. Of course, it's guys, better off dead. 
no i was gonna say hamburger gross gross point blank have you guys seen gross point Uh, blank i have i have but it's been a while it's essentially Uh, what would have happened if he didn't go with her to england like the character has the exact same backstory where he's like well i was thinking about the military went off to the military they found out that i could kill people real good and then it's like he comes back in like 50 years or like 10 years and then they have a a thing it almost feels like a spiritual sequel to me but that might just be me well i think fraser is a spiritual sequel for for mr court because you know then he gets out of jail he serves a, a beat cop he in seattle because it takes place in seattle, seattle he yeah right yeah right exactly well, well i mean like if you if you look <laughs> at he gets injured films, on the job they have the the drunken the drunken party guy who comes by and he's threatening and then he's suddenly sweet and warm where you're like okay this guy's just drunk you have the father who's uh adversarial uh but accepts uh john cusack's character when he comes back assuming that he's done corporate work and you even have like the girl who's some for some reason still sprung on this guy um very strange i don't know it, it, there was a weird period yeah, of time I where john cusack where, was like the romantic icon for people it was odd I, yeah and and this this is this is part of why but he was already kind of there with like better off dead before that and showing up yeah. a little bit in sweet 16 i guess um or 16 candles or whatever um, but when he really did play more of like a loser burnout kind of kid he was more of a nerd in in 16 candles but I I'll I, I don't know about gross point Blake. I, I get where you're going with that. Um mainly because but I don't know where Dan Aykroyd hunting him uh comes into play. That's I a, always that's forget a weird that parts one. in the movie. But that's I'll say a closer dumb. one a closer <laughs> one a cl- a closer spiritual succe- uh, a spiritual successor to say anything in my opinion is uh, high fidelity. Um, okay. even though I mean it's based off a book, the Nick Hornby book, but I mean it is it, it is a, a a guy who woos women with music. He's, you know, not he's not really a slacker burnout, but he's sort of just like stuck at a dead end record store kind of thing um, and going through a breakup. And he reacts very much like Lloyd Dobler does um, yeah. in a I mean, so uh, that's much more. Think, and John Cusack's good at that archetype. I, I, that's I, why I, I don't know why I'm always charmed by that with John Cusack, maybe because I relate to it because I was I was Lloyd Dobler. I was, a, you know, kind of a C average kid. I was friendly with everybody, not really belonging to a specific group, but everybody knew me and liked me. I, most of the people I hung out with were women. Um, like uh, it, it, that's I relate to that. And then even in High Fidelity, I'm like, well, I'm a huge snob about my music too. So, um, yep. you know, so like, see, uh, I think I think the spiritual successor to this film is a different John Cusack movie, and that's Identity, because I think all these characters existed <laughs> in a little girl's head, a little in a man's head, and. I, Eventually, I, they evolved into these. I, I am going to effectively devalue the currency. I'm giving you my last point for the joke you just made. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, I'm giving you the point because it's a good idea. Yeah, but it is a good idea. <laughs> um, yeah. So, um, what do we think? Do we? I, I considering Cameron Crow. You yeah, know, I, 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 I do want to talk a little bit because he is sure. kind of. A, a kind of well-known prolific writer director guy but he's really only done a handful of movies he hasn't really done a whole lot because yeah. i think he Th- mainly this was his to- first directorial effort he wrote fast times but he did not direct this was the first one he directed um down the line i do want to talk about the use of the term say anything in the script but i yeah. think talking about cameron Crowe first is uh is a is a valid yeah. idea 
Well, and yeah. I think I think with this movie, you can't. You also kind of have to talk about James L. Brooks a little bit too, just because I I think James L. Brooks kind of recognized and had a kindred spirit in the way they manufacture their drama and love the script and said, well, I'll give you a shot to direct it because James L. Brooks can get away with anything at the time. Um, oh, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Cameron Crowe. When you, when you look at it, he did have like an interesting arc. I mean, you can go ahead and get to the arc. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you on that. Yeah, no, I mean, it is an interesting arc. That's why I, I cause I mean, I it's, think what he's probably your most classic, famous it's for. It's your classic Zumeckis arc. Yeah. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, it, uh, almost famous is the movie that probably everybody remembers Cameron Crowe the most for. Besides I think so. this movie, I think um, and Jerry, and Jerry I Maguire. Do... Oh, okay, Jerry Maguire. And, yeah, okay. Yeah, and in fact, uh, it's really interesting. It's double interesting that uh, Chris was like uh, uh, Lloyd Dobler is uh, manic pixie dream girl because Elizabeth Town is the movie that made Nathan Rabin coin the term manic pixie dream girl. Yep. I didn't so, know that, but that totally sounds right. Yeah, he's got a type. Well, I mean, Penny Lane in Almost Famous is very sure. much kind of like yeah. that. And but yeah. do you think it's funny that this one also ends with like kind of a does Cameron Crowe have a thing about flying or what? Because I mean, like I, I, the last scene in this movie, I immediately like, oh, right. Almost Famous. Well, <laughs> I mean, that actually is a legitimate. It, that is a legitimate thing, though. I think he might have problems flying because, like, Almost Famous, mm. of course, is known for being based off his time as a child working at Rolling Stones when he wasn't supposed to be there. So, like, the whole story with that kid is supposed to be autobiographical and it's super scary. But, like, it, when I was talking about, like, the progression of his career, it's interesting because he did say anything. It was, like, a huge kind of under... It was a big hit, but then... You know, he did singles, which was super popular at the time. Like, no one now would want to watch it because it's like a romantic thing about Gen Xers. Um, but not like a warmly remembered thing about Gen Xers. But then he did Jerry Maguire, became white hot, did almost famous. Everyone decided he was going to be the next big thing. And everyone thought that Kate Hudson was going to be the next big thing. And she's a huge star, but people thought she was going to be like... But like she had Olivia to have really bad rom-coms. Yeah. Yeah. And then he made Vanilla Sky, which left everyone confused as to why he remade a perfectly good Spanish film and called it Vanilla Sky. And uh, it's just been kind of weird off things after weird. that. We bought a zoo. That kind yeah. of stuff. Right. I, I, it's it's it, you know, it's weird about Vanilla Sky, considering my my wife's taste, like she loathes things like Twin Peaks and, and yeah. fucking weird shit like that. But that's the only movie she said. I watched that movie and it at least made sense. Um, and I'm like, well, okay. You know, she should. You right. guys should watch um, the original. We should explain it to me sometime. You should watch well, the original. I, I, it's a Spanish I, I movie. Doubt I could be able to. Yeah, if we ever, Penelope Cruz is even in the original. To, to, too. Yeah. to destroy our credit with a certain film. Uh, a certain degree of like the film bro Twitter community. Twin Peaks season the three, that shit's overrated, my friend. Yes, sir. <laughs> so it is. Uh, you know, I think there's a limit. Sure. I think there is a, a a zone where it works, and a zone where it doesn't. I haven't seen Vanilla Sky, so I can't judge that. And I think there's great Lynch, and then I think there's there's overindulgent Lynch. 
I mean, Vanilla Sky yeah, is part of that same chunk face, of basically. well, it's that same chunk of time where it was like you know you had things like Dark Sky and um, the Matrix come out, and there were a whole lot of those things where the protagonist's view of the world created the world around them or changed the world around them, and it was one of those films. Like it was, you know, it wasn't an American film; it was Spanish. Augmented they had reality. Augmented yeah. reality. It had a twist in it. The original's awesome. It has the guy who is the main villain in um, The Devil's Backbone as the lead character incredibly handsome man i don't mind oh, telling sure. anybody that um uh, and the I devil's backbone is great yeah i love that great yeah. movie far better film than vanilla sky in my opinion the original film was far better well i i would count most of cameron crowe's filmography better than that movie yeah. um i have not seen we bought a zoo though so who knows <laughs> um but uh, especially I, I think with say anything like considering how much of the script is so based off of just sort of melodramatic tropes sure um you know it, it and you can it tell it's like an early kind of, film yeah right he's kind of flexing his wings a little bit trying to see how far he he can go as a writer and you could tell with something like almost famous it's almost that's more a passion project for him that he he's thought about that story a long time yeah I, I, I agree go ahead chris uh, have you guys had a similar experience to the kickboxing scene where you meet someone that you're dating's parents for the first time and you uh, get set up for some embarrassment and then you re- it's an embarrassing, awkward moment? Have like have you guys had a few of those that you'd like to share? Anything that's funny? Chris, I told I had to tell people that I was going to film school. What the fuck do you think the reaction was? <laughs> I, I had a similar experience. I had a, a girl that I dated in Indiana and I was uh, she was religious. I wasn't. I met her parents and we had a conversation that involved me saying, I want to make horror and suspense films. And the mother said, I think those really hurt people spiritually. And I realized I had nothing I could add to either conversation in the room. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I guess I, I feel like I haven't. Uh, I think I get the idea. I've felt personally like I usually... There's a phrase from, I can't remember when it originated from, maybe it was Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but I'm not sure, the phrase, you give good parent, and it's like, <laughs> in comparison to like, you give good head, or something like yeah, that. No, I, I, followed I, the, I, usually, I followed the concept. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I usually give, I feel like I have historically given good parent. You, you could put it as you make a good, good impression, too. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but see, that's But you see, the difference is, I would say that to parents. I wouldn't say this. I'll say with you, <laughs> but with parents. Now, granted, after I'd been with Shannon for a while, she started listening to my other podcast, The Revisionists, uh-huh. and I don't mm-hmm. know, like we talk about <laughs> semen and shit on that. So, <laughs> who the fuck knows? She still yeah. talks to me, so. Uh, well, I mean, truth be told, I mean, like I, Sarah, I met Sarah when we were in high school. So, I mean, like I I'll probably relate to this movie probably a little yeah. bit more than I probably should. And um, I, I didn't have a lot of serious girlfriends for... prior to Shannon. I, I you know, I yeah. like incidentally went out with people I was interested in in parents in high school and and maybe once in college. But, uh, you know, so I didn't yeah. have too, too many experiences with that. Yeah. Yeah, when I met Sarah's it, parents, it was like we hit it off immediately. Like, or me and her family, we hit it off immediately, and that's kind of the only time that's ever happened with someone I'm dating. And it was the first sign that I should probably get married to Sarah, and I did. Yeah. It was a good idea. 
I did the same thing on the second date. Um, mm-hmm. And so also, I, I think that uh, I'll, I'll say this to about Russell in terms of Sarah's parents, or at least Jennifer. Mm. Like the expectations there are atypical for most parents. <laughs> I remember, I remember meeting Jennifer for the first time in high school, and it's like. Let's smoke cigarettes and play canasta. That's right. Yep. yep. And she was like, I like Zach. Yeah. No, and it was my my first time meeting uh, my wife's mom was very similar to that, you know, like, because I had just turned 18, but I knew that parents were very, like, you know, iffy about smoking and or whatever. And I'm looking around the table. Everybody was smoking at that time. And I kind of lean over to Sarah. Do you think they'll mind if I smoke a cigarette? And she looked around at the table like... <laughs> Yeah, they don't care. <laughs> like, do you think they give a shit? Um, and, and I'd never had that before, so it was love at first sight. Um, mm. And yeah, I definitely would hold my boombox over my head if I had a boombox. And I'll say, I'll say this for for old Jennifer Irby, who I know I feel like some of the Maloffs watch or listen. Um, mm. I feel like I've heard that before. There's the thing about the family is they care about character more than aesthetics, so I'll give them. I'll give them that little. <laughs> that, well, obviously. <laughs> yeah. um, so I, speaking of Zach, you wanted to mention the, the title of Say Anything. Yeah, which, I, I kind of uh, took it as the fact that that John Cusack is almost kind of a motor mouth, you know, where he's just kind of going. He'll, he'll just say anything. That's kind of what I take up. But you're right. It mainly is only coming from. I think that's from, maybe part of it. Yeah, I think I, I, think I expected it inter- to be the I expected it to have a crux on romantic thing. I think I had the same reaction you did though, I, Zach. I well my 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 response is again both times uh I believe I only heard it twice unless I missed one both times in a conversation between Ioni Sky and John Mahoney um at the first time it was a very earnest like I can say anything to you between a father and daughter and at the end she realized he was holding back things from her and he couldn't you know she confronted him with his crimes and he couldn't say anything to her about it and i think it's about this tra- transition for all young women but really all young people between this point where your parents are the people who you can go to for any emotional need any problem anything you have and at a certain point that switches over for most people and it becomes a romantic partner and even though she doesn't ever say it to uh, John Cusack's character, I think he clearly becomes that for her by the end of the film. And so I think Say Anything is literally a reference to that that sort of shift in the train tracks. You know what I mean? Yeah, because yeah, well, this is kind of more like a this is a coming of age movie. Yeah, she has a severe switch in it where it's it goes plainly from thinking that her dad's infallible to seeing her dad as a real person, which I agree is completely a thing that people go through at that age because you realize like, oh, like I'm 18. I can do whatever I want now. My parents now have the same level of say in my life that I do. Oh, what am I going to do? And then you have to start judging your decisions versus their decisions. And you start understanding like, oh, maybe that was an unhappy marriage and some other stuff. Yeah. And even if even if you have a, a better relationship with your parents than uh, Ioni Sky does, like, I'll I'll say this on the record. My parents have never been convicted of a felony. Um, and in fact, convicted. I still... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> there were some close calls. There were some close calls. 
But I'm still on good terms with my parents. I talk to them regularly, and I, uh, I, I, I love them dearly. But, you know, I'm also an adult, and I've passed that point where, like, I talk to the person I'm in a relationship with a lot more than my parents, and that's a switch that happens for every young person. And I think in a soft way that that is really what this movie's about. It's also why Diane is the main character and not Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Um, that, yeah. Very good. Yeah, I think that's... Point. I, could, I, I also think that... I, I mean, I fake gave you the point earlier. It's really for that. But the, I completely agree. Yeah, okay. <laughs> because, I mean, I really gave him the point, but it's I was screwing around. This is the actual point. Um, it is interesting that they kind of go through that and they kind of have to, like... I don't know. It, it's odd. It's an odd film. I kind of got I kind of got stuck there for a minute because I was going to yeah. say something and then forgot what I was going to say all of a sudden. Structurally, I think this film is weird, but yeah. I understand the point of it. Sure, I mean it, it. It, but it's also kind of indicative of that time too. I mean, especially like the the, the shall we say wide variety of soundtrack choices. Um, you know, because you've got like Fishbone and Ska and shit and Soundgarden playing in the background. And the, but then, and the like, score, is, I I almost forgot to mention this. I'm glad you mentioned that. The score sounds like a fucking like late early eighties sitcom score. Yeah. It's so fucking goofy. I don't know yeah. what that score was, but it is not serving this movie. Uh, right. I, I think the Gabriel can, song serves a little better. Well, you can see the switch that happened culturally between this one and singles, actually. Which is strange, because singles is set, I believe, in Seattle during the grunge wave. And this is like set in like everyday America, but just like the time between 1986 and 1992, the cultural conversation had shifted so extremely that they went from like everyone looked and wanted to be like this cookie cutter kids that are doing well to like the slacker kids. And then it came over and became a bigger deal to be a slacker. Uh, But grunge and stuff like that really affected how the soundtracks worked. And yeah, I completely agree. This one, there was a whole lot of MIDI, and I forgot how much it sounded like a soap opera at times. Yeah, that, I, that was immediately my thought, too. I, it sounded like, you know, the, not even like current days of our lives. I'm talking like I, the 1950s days of our mm-hmm. lives, where it's like an organ drop. Just and I'm speaking, talking about like yeah. the structure of this movie and the fact that I, I truly wonder, I don't know if Lloyd or Diane gets more screen time. I don't know. Um, but I, I think an interesting concept for a future theme, which uh, I may or may not use, but I'm going to put it on the record right now, is movies where the protagonist and the person who is centrally featured are not necessarily the same. That would be because cool. Because I think that's an interesting topic. And there are there are a few movies that are like that. Get ready for Citizen Kane, Borif. Oh, God, no, no. That that one, I'm saying bullshit no right now. No Citizen Kane. Never watching that fucking movie again. Greatest movie ever made. Fuck we that have movie. discussed veto. We, when we started this podcast, we discussed a veto power, but we never explored it further. But uh, right now you're in mercy. Right now you're, you're in the trap, Chris. You're in the trap. That's right. If somebody well, picks Citizen Kane, you're right. in the trap. That's right, yeah. Oh. Well, speaking of Citizen Kane, let me let me ask you guys, since this movie is so ubiquitous, overrated? A little. Yeah. Yeah. It it gets referenced. I didn't love so, it. It was yeah. fine. It gets referenced so much as like a classic romance. But when you really look at it, it's a pretty basic romance with pretty down to earth stuff. And it's fine and to watch it, but it's not something that I would like 
remember and call to as a cultural touchstone for any relationship outside of watching it. And so much of the movie is like I nominally about developing this relationship, but like, I don't know, man, like, uh, it just feels, sometimes it just feels like wasted time or like, I don't know what the point of this scene is at times. And I, I honestly wonder, like, I, in regards to what I just mentioned, like, uh, I wonder if it would have been better if like the Mahoney stuff was slightly more central and Lloyd had a smaller role because it does seem like it's a breakdown. I don't know. I I mean, I guess both those are important for the, mainly the problem is honestly, you know, I guess Diane's in both those, but like, she doesn't always feel like the central character and she should very strongly feel like the central character. She just doesn't enough. I think people think yeah. Lloyd is the central mo- character of this movie. He's fucking not. That dude yeah. doesn't change. Well, yeah, he does not because even at the pivotal moment when she comes in for help, he kind of pushes back a little bit, but then he immediately realizes, you know what? I don't really care. Um, yeah. You know, like it's, and, uh, and, I'll be happy. And he's not like suddenly, He's also not making good decisions all of a sudden. Like, he goes with her to England, and they haven't had any conversations about green cards, where he's going to live, how he's going to live there for a year Jesus with her. Yeah. They probably I cut mean, all that shit out because yeah. oh, it'd be a I know, boring I know thing that to it's watch. boring, boring detail stuff, but the thing is, is it's still like you would want some sort of an <laughs> where, idea that they're going to land somewhere and do a thing. Where the fuck, where the fuck is the Dobbler cut where they show him getting a green card? <laughs> This should be a four-hour movie where they... In four-by-three aspect ratio. You know, John Mahoney, where's his trial? Okay, we need a John Mahoney trial. We need about an hour of that. We need an hour of him figuring out his immigration. And we need to at least introduce the lawyer who's going to have a lengthy dialogue scene and conversation. Also happens to be played by Alec Baldwin. Banging two little balls together. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> I, d- I do actually love the uh, the scene where they figure out what's going to happen to John Mahoney, where, like, instead of having a trial, it's just two lawyers in a back room being like, just how about like this? How about this? Go to lunch. OK, yeah, that right. sounds good to me. And that's it. Where, where are you eating? Yeah, yeah right. I mean, I prefer that I, to seeing courtroom be- scenes. Courtroom scenes are boring. I mean, that was like compl- I would say that that is one of the best scenes of just efficiency in the movie, whereas everything else just takes too long. Like the, the well, opening it, sequence it, in the movie up is like ultimate efficiency to get me to the point where I really care about that relationship by the time things go bad. That depends. There's some great courtroom scenes, but I I say this is somebody who last week watched the scene in The Wire where Omar takes the stand and Maurice Levy talks about him, like uh, cross-examines him. That scene, fucking great. But uh, yeah, many courtroom scenes. Are yeah, dry. and it's. Uh, but I also like this movie did this a couple because we talked about it a little bit, you know, because we didn't know Lloyd's place academically. We you know he graduated. We know that Diane is a valedictorian. But then, like the the can we talk about how the guidance counselor just shows up at this random party to go piss in fucking Lloyd's ear about what he's going to do for the rest of his life? Uh, yeah, I've never known a guidance counselor to care that much. Uh, if at all. Not well, unless they're like a predator. I don't know why they'd be at a party where kids not are great. Yeah, not great to go to a high school party and uh, just be like all these drunk ass high school kids. And then and you'd I, be like, what are you doing with your life, Lloyd? Including a party that includes 
some weird cameos. Eric Stoltz is in, I think, only the party scenes. Mm-hmm. Oh, he he uh, also was a production assistant on this whole film. That's the thing. Really? No one. Yeah, he he was in like Fast Times at Ridgemont High and wanted to get more time behind camera because he wanted to become more of a filmmaker. And he did exactly that. He was on set. He's credited as a production assistant. Holy um, shit. Did a ton of shit. I guess he uh, also, it like came back to pay him back later because he wound up doing like additional parts in later Cameron Crowe movies. But Eric Stoltz, like one of my, uh, when I was a child, he's like one of my favorite teen actors for some reason. I think it was like The Fly 2. Anyway, what happens is, is that he went off and has become very successful as a go-to uh, director for TV shows. Uh, he did a whole bunch of seasons of, I uh, can't remember what show it is right now, but it's a big one. I can look another, it up later. Another notable cameo at that party? The uh, young woman who was Diane's sort of academic foil, the woman who like she fought with becoming valedictorian for, and they're like, oh, you pushed me harder, I pushed you harder. And then she's like, what's the matter with Lloyd? Uh, that woman is uh, Heather Chandler in Heather's. I don't know her from anything else, but uh, I think Heather's is a better movie for reference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like and it's weird. China that's, Phillips, that's China Phillips is in who, there like, too. Yeah. China yeah, Phillips is a, a very young Jeremy uh, and, a, and a very young Jeremy Piven because him and Cusack are boys from Chicago. They've known each mm-hmm. other for years. Sure. Um, yeah. All right. Well, I guess um, we could probably go on to final thoughts and see what we're doing next week. <laughs> Venture spleen. Oh, my God. All right. Um, well, I mean, it's a date movie. I mean, this is a this is a it's a it's a high school date movie for this particular age group i mean one of the critics in the new york times fucking hated this movie because they didn't believe that any of the characters were kind of like this as it wasn't relatable to high school kids i'm not sure about that because i related to this movie a lot more in high school than i do today um so it's that it's cute you know like they're they're uh, the chemistry between ioni sky and john john cusack and john mahoney is really good like their their own kind of nervousness and apprehension towards getting into a relationship that you want to get into i felt was very young and inexperienced and believable for the characters and they played it off very well um you know i i think if you haven't seen say anything i would be shocked but if you haven't it's worth seeing i mean it's it's definitely worth seeing even if some of the elements in there are very dated um it's but as zach pointed out as far as the time and place it existed not as bad it could get a lot worse sure. um but the, I didn't, the, I, the, the timeless tropes that it tends to crib off of in the overall movie drown out that kind of and it's what makes the movie more timeless and not just dated 1989 you know silly rom-com movie so yeah i mean like it still carries the day i suppose so it was fine uh i'll just go next uh to continue off one of russell's last thoughts uh, refreshing thing from a movie from 1989. I didn't hear any like slurs. I didn't hear any R words, F words. As far as I remember, there was I missed something or there forgot was something. A brief moment when he got a little. There was a little uh, ebonics that popped out of our our boy John Cusack talking to the kid at the start. That was the only cringy moment. Well, and I think even that they're making fun of a commercial that was on all the time. Yeah. that I, I have no reference to. I, I don't know. If, maybe. Uh, but yeah, the, the, I didn't 
I didn't sense any like extreme homophobia or like making fun of the mentally challenged or anything like that, which almost every movie you watch from these days, it's like you just got to accept it as a given almost. Um, and even the sexism was 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 like very reined in. Like John Cusack, he's friends with women. Seems like a guy who respects women's opinions, like and the guys were presented as idiot douchebags. Whereas they're usually presented as like, you know, the protagonist plucky heroes or yeah. underdogs or whatever. Yeah. Um, so that's something going for it. That said, this is a movie that simultaneously I was watching it and sometime I was like, I don't know why they're wasting time with this. And also when it was almost over, I'm like, holy shit, this is almost over. This movie went by so fast so i don't know how it wastes time and feels like it's doing like zooming by it, it almost simultaneously but it pulls it off um it's fine if you have an evening and you want to watch a movie it's fine hey you can watch say anything it's not gonna be your you're not gonna you're not gonna feel bad the next day you're not gonna remember it for your life Unless you were, if you've just gone, if you've just gone time. through a breakup, if you've just gone through like a pretty severe breakup, don't watch this movie. Just don't. Yeah. It'll, it'll just. No, I mean, a, be, any John Cusack pain. movie kind of does that to you. Like, uh, I would say that like High Fidelity is also a big. Don't watch that. If you've just gone through a breakup, don't watch that. Don't watch yeah. any John Cusack movies that involve romance because they're all intense mm-hmm. on the breakups. Right. Well, and they I... all they all magically get back together too, as you would expect in real life. So after you know. after chasing the lady um so yeah, yeah i think it's 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 cameron crow geared up for his sort of fairly short period of prominence and i think uh a, a few better movies in fact i should say uh, i didn't even think about it uh jerry Maguire could have been on my ubiquitous movies watch list i had never seen that shit um oh but i think this this image is a little more famous than show me the money um yeah sure. And um, I also didn't consider that at the time. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's okay. Uh, let me see. I I would say this one is right up there with the other Cameron Crowe movies. Like, they're always... He's best when his movies are kind of non-offensive and about kind of, like, fairly common emotional issues that everyone can kind of understand about coming of age. Uh, the stuff he does that gets further from that, like Vanilla Sky... Aloha, we bought a zoo. That stuff tends to all stray from that. Like, it's small stories about a character's coming of age and the emotions they have to deal with and getting over parents and sort of the what it means to define yourself as a person outside of when your parents are telling you what to do and who to be. Um, it's fine. I agree with Zach. It's a fine movie. It's not going to offend anyone. It's not really going to surprise anyone. Um, John Mahoney's great. Uh, John Cusack is entertaining. I would say this is probably one of Ioni Sky's biggest films outside of like Gas Food Lodging, um, which was a big indie film from the 90s that everyone like called. I feel comfortable saying this is a bigger film than Gas Food Lodging. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, that's kind of my feelings, too. It's just okay. Um, If you guys want, we can rip the bandaid off about the next thing coming if you want to. I, I would love to hear it, but before okay. we do, let's run down the points total that we've gained, because uh, again, we are pretty generous with our points this time, boys. 
All righty. So, Chris Boreff, you have gained a point from Zach for the Man and Pixie Dream Girl. Uh, so you now have 13 points. I didn't get a goddamn thing, so I'm stuck at 11 points. Uh, Zach Powers, the points monster, as always, has 14, has 15, uh, yeah, 15 points now from me for defending Lloyd and one from Bora for questioning the title of the movie, with you having <laughs> the lone remaining bonus point to give out. All righty. So with our last ubiquitous movie movies that everybody's seen that with Bora, if we already know if you've listened to the show it's there quite is a, a library pick. will it be the chalk pick <laughs> right so chris Boroff, what do we got so here's the thing you guys said ubiquitous film and that could literally be anything so i was so tempted so tempted in my what? specific no it could not for hold instance, on, gas on. food lodging is not a ubiquitous film. Hey, hey, hey. What I'm saying is, is that there's a ubiquitous <laughs> film that I hadn't seen that I was more than willing to push on you guys. And it was Justice League because that shit is everywhere and everyone's talking about it. I haven't really paid that much attention to it yet. That's, Everyone's talking about that's, Justice League. That's the that's a stretch. That's a stretch of the rules that actually makes sense. I have to concede, but I know I'm going to let you continue. Yes, oh, wow. because that... Would have happened. That's not your pick necessarily. That's not my pick because here's the deal: I haven't been able to pick a movie in a while, so I'm willing to take one for the team so that I can potentially get a chance of doing something. And there are also two films that you guys have brought up so much that I haven't seen, and it was really a toss-up for me because I would love to sit down and watch uh, Black Christmas because it's something that I think I would deeply enjoy, but. Ah, uh, it seems like there's going to be another time for it. So, in this case, I'm going to go with the chalk pick of It's a Wonderful Life because I literally have no expectations. I've only I heard... There it I is. I can't deny it. I mean, I've heard from yeah. my family, my parents who had to sit through it when they were children, that they hate it. And a lot of people who had to watch it hate yeah. it. But I've heard well, it in the same way that like, people who had to watch Christmas Carol or a Christmas story all the time hate it but it's not a bad movie it's a good movie it's just that people watched it too much forget about christmas story okay forget christmas story no okay um uh this is i have to admit as much as it's a layup it's the right choice because i don't think anything you could have picked is as eternally ubiquitous as this even if you had pick picked Zack snyder's justice league which, by the way, we should re reference. We're recording this in, uh, like, early April of 2020. By the time you hear this, you won't give a fuck about Zack Snyder's Justice League. It'll yeah, be yeah. one and a half months ago. One would hope. No one's going to yeah, be talking yeah, yeah, about yeah. that shit. Yeah, yeah, we'll yeah, never yeah. talk about it again for the rest of time because it doesn't fucking matter. It's a four-hour-long <laughs> thing slog. No one's going to watch. It's fine. Whatever. It's Who cares job. about a fine movie that's four hours long? <laughs> like... Um, but no, no, I am, no. I am it's curious to compare life. it to the original cut because I've heard that the original cut is awful. Uh, well, uh, did you see Batman versus Superman? Because that didn't inspire a lot. That shouldn't inspire any confidence I, whatsoever. I didn't either. This is like this is like so many things have done a riff of this. This is like if I hadn't seen Rashomon, I would have to pick Rashomon because it's eternally referenced. Fucking great movie. True. Uh, I mean, but I, I have seen Rashomon. So I did. I didn't pick that. I mean, I haven't seen it, like I said. So I guess I'll be finding a lot of these references as we go into it. But I might make you tell me what some of the references you've seen to this have been, because I some can of only them will just know. Oh my god! 
I mean, the only times I've ever heard of this has been like you know when premise. it's in other films. I kind of do. Like he okay. tries to commit right, suicide, is, and it, then it turns into be like a, a Christmas spaz. This is this. Uh, nope, you, my my lips are sealed, sir. You're, right, you're yeah. on your own for this one. Um, someone who is truly like this is like someone who doesn't know the twist in Psycho almost. I, <laughs> <laughs> I mean. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I've only heard it referenced in other films, so it's one of those things that I have a feeling I'm going to have the same moment that I did with like Citizen Kane, where I didn't see the movie, but everybody talked about a sled. So I knew about a sled in context, only that it had to do with that movie. And in this case, I have I believe like... you'll have almost the opposite reaction. Okay. And I'm putting that on paper. I can't wait. Okay. I, I, it, 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 is, it is the opposite of Citizen Kane. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, that sounds the, great, because fuck Citizen opposite. Kane. I know. I, it's our favorite hobby horse, buddy. Um, no, it, and yeah, no. Or if I'm, I, I'm actually, I'm proud of you for picking this pick, for going for the chalk pick. No, um, I think it's the right that, choice. That is, you know okay. what, Chris? Yes. I, I said in our chat, and this is a behind the scenes glimpse, I was like, Chris could go with this chalk pick. I don't know if he should. It's the wrong time of year to watch it for the first time, but it's the right pick for this category. It's the sure. right mm-hmm. pick. I'm down. I sort I'm of, down. I, I, I'm not gonna lie. I did sort of pick this theme as a layup to you, uh, just because uh, I, also, I wanted to see which well, movie a, out of all the I movies had you mentioned. A feeling. I had a feeling because I'm, you know I picked out notoriously strange picks before this, so it was kind of. Yes. Also, are you going to push us off the cliff one more time? Are you gonna do it to us? <laughs> I'll say straight up, audience. Hate to hate to, hate to say it, unless Chris fucking despises this. We got a winner. <laughs> I'm going to vote against my own pick. Yeah, that's I, what I'm going to do. You cannot tell. <laughs> I, I, I think that if you, you have Bora, to vote honestly. Yeah, uh, Bora, uh, oh, you don't want to yeah, say that because yeah, I'll, be, I'll be held accountable. I, I don't know how he's going to react to this movie because there's such a gear shift in this movie that is anyway. Uh, we, we'll, we'll have plenty of time to get into that uh, with tune us in for the next time for when we watch Christmas in spring with It's a Wonderful Life, the classic Jimmy Stewart movie. One of, anyway, uh, it's shocking that Borf hasn't seen this movie and he went through film school and everything. Uh, so uh, join us next time for It's a Wonderful Life uh, and like, subscribe, and uh, share with your friends uh, about the movie trap. So uh, for my co-hosts, I have been Russell Carlson. I have been joined by Chris Bruff. Hello. Goodbye. You say goodbye. All right. And for Zach Powers. Uh, I used to be able to say anything to Russell. Now I can say anything to Chris. That's how life goes. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you very much for listening. And as always, as we say here on the movie trap, Diane Ladd is too young to be Chevy Chase's mom. What are your plans for the future? Spend as much time as possible with Diane before uh, she leaves. Seriously, Lloyd. I'm totally and completely serious. No, really. You mean my career? You mean my career? Um, I don't know. I've, I've, <clears throat> I've thought about this quite a bit, sir. So I don't know what's waiting out there for me. I don't want to sell anything, buy anything, or process anything. It's a career. I don't want to sell anything, buy a process, or buy anything, or sell a process. Like, Process anything sold, bought, or process or care anything sold, bought, or process. You know, it's a career. I don't want to do that. So, uh, my father's in the army. 
supposed to be doing, but I can't wait for that to be So, what I'm doing lately is kickboxing. Which is a uh, new sport. Got a good future. As far as Korean longevity, I don't really know because he's not really talented. Straight and six is a fighter, you know. It's no good. It's great. I can't really tell if it's great. I can't really tell if it's great. I haven't been knocked down. I don't know. I can't figure it out. I can't figure it out.